James chapter 4, let's jump into this. I know it's only two verses, but uh, this is a necessary instruction for all of us Christians, for all of us that are in the church today, because there is nothing more divisive than the people who go to church, right? There's nothing more divisive than that. I know we might think, oh, it's Satan, or it's the world, or it's the problems in the world, but no, the thing that splits churches the most is and we have to be aware of what we are doing, what we're saying, and how we are responding to things. And remember, James is speaking primarily to Christians. When he talks about brothers and sisters and brethren, and he, and he refers to you, he's speaking to the Christians. And so here, he's continuing his thought that he started basically uh, since the beginning of the, the book, uh, but we're going to jump in uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 to kind of get the context of what James is talking about. So let's read the two verses, and then let's, let's track back. So verse 11, James chapter 4, it says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. We could just stop there and talk for a couple days, right? Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. In other versions, it says there is one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Now, there is nobody more than the world that loves this verse, right? Or Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, don't judge unless you be judged, right? Like, the world loves to quote that Bible verse more than any other Bible verse, right? Because they are saying, well, who are you to judge, right? You can't judge me. You're not, the Bible says, well, <laughs> you're going to pick one verse to, to lean on the entirety of it. So, uh, yes, the Bible says, do not judge. How many of you like to be judged? Patrick likes to be judged. Nobody likes to be judged, right? But the funny thing is, ironically, if we flip that, we all love to judge, right? We all love to judge. And what James is going to get at is that that's the heart. What he's going to get at that it's the heart of the person that leads to that judgment, that leads to the slander, that leads to what he mentions here in verse 11 of speaking evil of one another. And that's exactly what this word means. Speak evil means to speak against or to slander. And ironically, the devil, you guys know the devil? No. Yeah, I know. He's pretty cool. No. When, when James mentions the devil in, in verse 7, he says, resist the devil. The word devil or the name devil there is actually the Greek word diablos, which actually means, anybody know? Yeah, the accuser, the slanderer, right? So that is who the devil is. Diablos, the slanderer, the accuser. And so when we do, when we speak evil against one another, or in, to rephrase that, when we slander one another, we are basically doing the devil's work for him. Pretty crazy, right? Just something as simple as that. But it's more than just speaking words, right? Because there's something that's happening inside of us that gets us to that point of speaking those words. And all of us struggle with this, okay? None of us is exempt of it especially me. I feel like I'm probably the worst one in here who does that. 
speaking evil means to uh, have the assumption, and it has the assumption that the person being slandered is not personally present. We like that, huh? The moment, so you know, we're pretty fake. The moment somebody leaves and they're not a part of your group or whatever, we start to slander and we start to talk about them. Like, man, I can't believe like she tried to wear that dress, or you know, I can't believe he did this or he did that, or he looks like this. What I mean, I'm trying to relate to you guys. I don't know what you guys talk about anymore. Anyways. You know, this even happens, this happens a lot with adults, which is actually pretty sad. And like I said, to start off, that's where the divisiveness comes in within the church. And that's why churches split, that's why people get hurt, is because of all this slandering that happens. Because we speak evil of one another. I mean, if we can't get along, right, how is the world going to, how are we going to show the love of Christ to the world? Right, and Jesus specifically said that, he says, you know, that we're to show the love of the world by showing the love that we have for one another or the love of Christ that we have for the love for one another. So when we attack the, the character of other believers, specifically James says the brethren here, we're really manifesting the attitude of the devil. He is the one who carries out slander against believers. Now James now explains what happens when a person speaks against someone else. They're really judging that person. And James says that speaking against a brother is judging that brother, and that is the same as speaking against the, against and judging the law. Now, when James talks about the law here, what, what law is he talking about? James chapter 2, verse 8, look, right? We got to read this in context, okay? This is in context. If you really fulfill the what? The royal law, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself right you shall love your neighbor as yourself and we actually talked about that a couple weeks ago so we speak evil of that law we disobey that law because essentially what we're doing is when we're slandering and ultimately judging another person is we are breaking the law of love right we are not showing love to our brother or our sister man and listen words and the things that we say they are crucial and they can break and they can destroy people. We saw that, and I don't know if you guys listened to the message because we weren't currently meeting at that point, but in James chapter 3, James talks about how evil the tongue is. Something so small as a tongue can do such great damage. He says in verse 5 of James chapter 3, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity right? A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. He says in verse 8, but no man can tame the, tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And he talks about our hypocrisy, how with it we bless God, and then, you know, we curse men with it. The tongue is crucial. It's vital. It's something that can easily destroy, and it's also something that can easily build up. And you guys know this. You guys know you've seen it in your personal lives when somebody has said something about you or you say something about somebody else. And the crazy thing is that we, it comes from a point of selfishness, pride, bitterness, jealousy. You know, when I think of, when I think of my brothers and my sisters, or if I think specifically about like my kids, could you imagine like, I love my kids, right? 
or I love my wife, could you imagine if I talked behind their back and I said these things, that things that stem from pride and selfishness, anger and bitterness? Like, is that love for my, for my family? No. And it should be no different for somebody who is not my blood and somebody who is in my spiritual family, right? We are one body, right? We need one another. We should build one another up and we are to be led by love and not our own selfishness. So the main thing I wanna, I wanna really get at is that wh- where is this coming from, right? So as Christians to one another, we're not to judge one another, right? But in a sense, we're also supposed to judge one another. There's a good way to judge and there's a bad way to judge. Anybody wanna guess how that's done? It's all about the motive, right? So think about this. I wanna give you an example. Would it be right in that moment, if he was about to do something stupid or is doing something stupid, should I stop and think, well, the Bible tells me not to judge, right? So I'm be like, oh, well, maybe I should just shouldn't say anything and, you know, let him play with that fork, you know, over by the outlet. He'll be fine, right? Like, you'll learn. No. If he's doing something dumb or if, in essence, he's in sin, I can either go about it two, two ways. One, I can go about it the wrong way where I judge from a point of selfishness. There's a selfish type of motive or I'm, uh, you know, I'm jealous or I'm bitter or I'm angry or there's just something that's off. What's not going to happen is I'm not going to go to him in gentleness and in love and tell him and remind him that in the word, because the word is authority, it's not my opinion, in the word what you're doing is wrong, right? And I'm doing that in gentleness and I'm doing that in the private. But if I, but rather if I do it the opposite, I would go and I would, you know, I'd probably say a couple things to a couple friends or I'd tell my wife, like, your kid sucks, like, he's so dumb, like, look, Look at this look at that that and this and what's gonna happen is it's just gonna it's gonna build divisiveness and whatever I tell that person is gonna affect how the way they, they see you know whoever's in sin specifically we're talking about my son right here and I hope he never hears this because it's a dumb analogy but um, you know so we are to call one another out on sin right like if I love you I'm not gonna let you keep doing what you're doing to harm yourself I will call you out But again, like I said, there is a right way to do it. The word tells us to do it in gentleness and in love and to restore the the person. Why are you telling the person, you know, why are you approaching the person? Are you trying to make yourself feel better because you feel like you're not in as deep of a sin or a bad of a sin? Or do you really want that person to be restored in their relationship with Christ? It's all about the motive and is there love behind it? Now, far too often, and specifically in this context of this chapter in these verses, James is reminding Christians that we're not to judge out of the, the judgment of, you know, selfishness, anything of the flesh, right? And anything that leads to slander, that leads to us speaking about the person behind their back, right? It's all about where is your heart at? And then Matthew challenges us when this happens, when we see somebody you know, doing something. And you know the crazy thing is, more often than not, when this starts to happen, the slandering starts to happen, it's not even because the person's really in sin. They're just doing something that we just possibly don't agree with or we just don't like them, right? It's not like, you know, Ariel's doing a a completely blatant sin. It's just, I don't like her red hat, right? Like it's it's something as, as, as minor as that. 
and that can lead to such divisiveness. So James, or Matthew tells us, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Again, the world quotes this all the time. Judge not that you uh, be not judged. Fear what judgment you judge, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And here's, here, this is key. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? We're all sinners, right? None of us are perfect. We all have problems. And before, at any time, any point in your life, before you point out somebody else's sin, make sure that you check your own heart. Pastor Kevin just mentioned that right now for communion. It's important and it's, it's vital that we repent of our sin. And repentance isn't just a one-time thing. This is something that, that's almost a, a daily aspect because I sin daily. I need to restore my relationship with Christ. When I have unrepentant sin in my life, my relationship with Christ, the gap widens. And I move further and further away from him. Remember, we talked about this. He doesn't move. I move. You move. So consider the plank or the, the, the plank in your own eye before you even look at the speck in your brother's eye. You know what's crazy? It's all about, it's all about where and the perspective that you're looking. You know, because Matthew says, look, this other guy, the brother, has a speck in his eye, but you have a plank in your eye. It's just the perspective. He probably just has a speck in his eye too, right? But from his perspective, it looks like it's a, it's a plank. It's long. It's look at your own self and what's in your heart first before you call out other people. You need to get your heart right. And what's, what you come to find out is that when you look at your own heart, you realize how wicked and evil you are and how desperate you are in need of His grace and the grace from others that you will approach that person in a different light than you first would have. You'll approach them in gentleness. You'll approach them in love. You'll approach them in grace. And you really will want to restore them because you had just received the same thing from Christ. But the moment <laughs> that we don't do that is the moment we start to judge in the wrong manner. It comes from a place of flesh and it creates divisiveness and slander. And this doesn't even have to be a verbal type of speaking nowadays. I think we speak more online than we do with our own voices. You know, so it's it's what are you texting? You know, what are you messaging? What are you forehead pictures on snapchat you know what what are you saying about another person is it something that's tearing them down or is it building them up and really think where is this stemming from what why am i even doing this and if you track all the way back you'll realize it's probably just something very little and off that's in your own heart some type of jealousy or bitterness or maybe you just don't fully understand the person or the context of a situation and Satan can take that and he will run with it and snowball it. So I would encourage you to walk in love, right? Because love is what builds up. And what's the opposite of love? I'm actually asking. Hate? What do they say? I think they say it's indifference. Not, yeah, not love. Not Christ. How about that? Anything that's not of Christ, because God is love. Anything that's not of God will lead to our slandering 
of others will lead to us tearing others down. And for some reason, we love tearing people down, right? We love tearing people down. Even when we watch shows, reality TV, or whatever it is, we, you know, we'll say something just to tear people down. Because what we, what we think that does is that when we tear people down, we think it builds ourselves up. That we don't really want to focus on the speck in our own eye. We don't want people to notice the speck or the plank or whatever is in our own eye. Rather, we want that to be focused on the other person. And so we don't tear people down. As Christians, what do we do? We build people up, right? We see that all throughout Scripture. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification or building up that it may impart grace to the hearers. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore comfort each other and edify to build one another up, just as you also are doing. Romans 14.19 says, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another, to build another up. Listen, I want to, I just, I want to step off this for a minute. I want to encourage you that if, if there is something that is, causing some type of friction with somebody in this room or somebody outside of this room, wherever it is, you need to deal with it then and there. And you need to deal with it in grace and in love and in gentleness. And it's something that really needs to be brought up and discussed with whoever that person is. Maybe the person doesn't even know that you're bitter. Maybe the person doesn't even know that you're jealous. But there is a point where you need to make that known and you need to seek forgiveness from that person. You need to make it right. Because listen, guys, I've been a part of ministry for a number of years now. And and we, as people, we invest in one another, right? Like, we love one another. I really do. Like, we spend time with each other outside of church. Well, some of us, you know, we try. Like, we can't all spend time with each other all day because we're all quarantined anyway. So, but you get what I'm saying. Like, we invest in your lives. We'll go to your graduations. We'll come to your parties. We'll do your quinceañeras guys, we don't throw parties, so we just say, you know, good job, happy birthday, you know, but what we really invest in one another, and what sucks from a leadership standpoint, or even from your standpoint, is when, you know, a family leaves the church, you know, when a family leaves the church, and you never see from them, or hear from them again, it's like, man, we invested so much in you, we love you guys, and every time that I've seen families leave the church, outside of like good reasons like you know we moved or you know whatever it is it's usually because of something how do I put this something super dumb childish little right because really once we have this this talk and family sit down or people sit down and and I hear people and I hear their points of view and I think okay like this is this has gotten way out of control and this person's mad at this person. They don't even know why they're mad. They don't even know why they're upset. They don't know why this happened or this, why they said this. And then, you know, you, you try to track back like where it all started and it was just something little. It was something little in their own heart and it led to a little bit of slander. It led to a little bit of tearing each other down, whether they knew it or not. And then over time, without dealing with it, like adults should, sometimes ki- kids handle this better, Unlike uh, dealing like they should, it gets to a point where people just, rather than dealing with the problem, what's the easier thing to do? Go find another church, right? 
I mean, we live in America. Look at Main Street. There's like six churches. Pick yours. Right? It's like, okay, we'll just go find another family. We've had people leave the church that we've completely invested uh, in their lives, and they didn't even tell us they were leaving. And like, do you understand? Like, that hurts. That sucks. It really does. It'd be like my wife just, no, I want to equate it to my wife, but it'd be like my dog. No, I'm just kidding. I don't love him that much yet. You know, it's, it's, it's like that. We completely invest, and then they just up and leave. And so I want to encourage you, don't let these things fester. You know, I, I've had it where somebody, I've had plenty of people come up to me and call me out on things, or I've done this, I've done that, I've hurt them this way, I've said this. And yeah, at first, because of my selfishness and my pride, I'm like, no, I didn't, or get over it, or, you know, like, just, you know, how we are. You know, I want to be defensive, or I want to place blame on, on other people, or make excuses. But the moment that I realize and I fess up that, yes, you know, this probably stemmed from me, that that bond and that relationship with that person after we make up becomes stronger, right? We get closer because now we are, we are free from the bondage of our sin and now we're free to grow in our relationship with each other in the spirit of Christ. There's nothing that's holding us back anymore. But far too often there's this un, unspoken, sometimes spoken, just we just don't like each other. Like, we all should be friends and love one another, regardless of our race in here, regardless of our age in here, regardless of our personalities, regardless of anything that you think would separate us or make us different. Because we all have the Holy Spirit. We all have the same goal, and that's to grow in our relationship with Christ and to be with Him one day. Right? So, I would encourage you guys to do that. And I would encourage you to not wait. And then for those of us, if anybody ever comes to us with a problem that we need to handle in grace and never hold back forgiveness. I know that's an easy thing to say. And I know sometimes that's a hard thing to fathom. But forgiveness is key. When I think of Christ and all the things that I've done and the things that I've done to him and how the Bible tells me I was an enemy of him and that he died for me while you know I was yet still a sinner, and I think of how horrible and wretched of a person I am, that no matter what I do, if I seek his forgiveness, he doesn't hold it back, right? He will never hold it back. Because really, that's what he wants. That's what he's seeking. That's what he's desiring. Because when that forgiveness comes, and when he imparts that forgiveness to me, then our relationship is bonded. And the same thing goes for us personally in our own lives. So we don't tear each other down, we build each other up, and, and that all stems from love, right? We talked about how the royal law is love, to love one another, or uh, to love uh, your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4 through 7, you guys know these verses, but I'm just going to quote them really quick. Uh, talks about love. When we think of love, it's the opposite of what James is talking about here when it comes to judging one another and to slandering one another. He says, love suffers long. And is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it is not puffed up, it does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it is not provoked, and thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. When we judge one another, we are losing sight, and we are not walking in love. When we judge one another, really what we are doing 
is we are not being kind. We are being envious. We are parading ourselves. We are puffed up. We are behaving rudely. We are seeking our own. We are being provoked or provoking. We think evil. We rejoice in iniquity. We do not rejoice in the truth. We don't bear all things. We don't believe all things. We don't hope all things. And we don't endure all things. And it fails. It will constantly fail when we start to judge one another. And we have to understand, too, that we're not called to judge because it's not our place. You were not given that role. Right? What role were you given? Huh? The role you were born into and you're given is you were a sinner. Right? You're not the judge. You were given the law to abide by the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And then he told us that there's two great commandments within the law, which is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But you can't even love God before he even displayed his own love for us. First John, John chapter 4 tells us that, that we love him because he first loved us. So it all initiated and started with God, who is, as James tells us, the lawgiver and the judge. Like, how, how crazy is that? Like, he came up with the law, and he's also the judge. He is the one. James tells us right here in verse 12, there is one lawgiver. You're not to be the one that polices every person's thought and action and, and spoken word. Your job is not to, you know, call everyone out on this or that, because essentially what you're doing is you're looking at the speck in everyone else's eye before you even look at your own. And the moment you look at your own, you're going to realize, man, I just need to focus on myself before I even focus on anyone. Like, I need to get myself right before I even focus on anyone. And then once you do that, you're going to realize, I don't have time to focus on anyone else's problems. I need to just continually focus on mine and my relationship with the Lord. But out of love, I will warn you if I see you in sin. So there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Only God alone is capable. He alone is qualified to be in the position to judge. Only he can save or condemn. You and I are all in the same boat. We do not know all that there is to know or how everyone is intertwined. We don't see his plan or his purpose, nor do we have the power to carry out a judgment. We have no right whatsoever to judge another human being. When we do this, we place ourselves in the seat where he is to be the only occupant. One lawgiver means there is only one God and you are not him. God is supreme and he has preeminence. And when we judge others, we are saying, I am a better judge than God. And the problem with this is that we ignore our own sin and rationalize. And we're okay because someone is in worse position than we are. Or we think we are better when in fact we are not. And oftentimes this leads to gossip. It leads obviously to slandering, to speaking evil of one another. And, you know, we try to do it in Christian type of ways where, you know, like, you know, hey, Alicia, can you, you know, can you, can you pray for Sierra? Because, you know, she's doing this and that. And, you know, you're trying to act all holy because you, you're, you're putting in a prayer request, but really you just want people to know her problems, right? And Christ tells us and the word tells us that we're to do this. Our problems are not to be out there for everyone to know. They can be handled in-house, right? That's why the word tells us that when you have a problem with a brother or you see a brother in sin, 
Your goal is to restore them in Christ. You do it in gentleness and you go alone. You go alone and you do it in private, right? And if, and if you restore them, you, then you have gained a brother. But let's just say they don't listen. Then what do you do? You take a witness with you. You take one person. You don't blast it on social media. You don't tell everyone about it in your prayer group. You don't do this or that. You do it as the word tells you to do it. In Matthew, what is it? Matthew 18, right? You do it as the word tells you to do it. But remember, first and foremost, before you judge, right? I mean, what's the biggest thing that we judge people on right now? People are judging like, oh, like, you know, you got two people in a room and you got one side that's like, okay, you have to wear a mask everywhere you go, sleep, eat, bathe, whatever. Then you've got the other, the far extreme and the other extremes like, you will never put a face mask on me, right? And then we judge one another of you know, and there's like no love whatsoever. Are you guys not following me? Okay, so let me let me explain it this way. I got an email from a guy in our church email. I hope he doesn't listen to this, but he'll know. Uh, he emailed us because he was upset that we, how do I phrase this? That we made people, that we made people wear a mask. And he was all upset because, you know, he comes from the far extreme of like, this was all planned and you know, trying to control everyone and, and whoever that is, I don't know. So there's a guy, he emailed us. He said, I might have considered attending your service if you would simply allow fully grown adults to take whatever precautions that deem, they deem necessary and not herd them like sheep. Requiring these things simply prolongs and feeds the effect of the organized crisis. And essentially what he's doing is he's judging, right? And now he's, he's slandering not just us, but you know the, the church and he professes to be a Christian. So I said, hi, leave his name out. Thanks so much for reaching out to us. I said, thanks so much for reaching out to us. I'm sorry you weren't able to attend one of our services on Sunday. Do you mind expounding on and letting me know what you mean by us requiring these things? Because he says requiring these things simply prolongs and feeds the effect of the organized crisis. And as you guys know, we haven't really like we're, we're pretty free in what we're doing in the church right now. It's, it's up to you to come with, to come or not. It's up to you to, you know, shake hands. It's up to you to make eye contact. It's up to you to do all this stuff, whatever, whatever you feel is comfortable. The only thing that we required was first service. And there's two other services you can go to. There's first service where we required a mask. And that's because we have a lot of, oh, well, you'll hear my response. He said, I don't remember exactly what was required, but things like wearing mask, seating, etc. He didn't fully know it all. He just went to completely judging it, judging it because of where his heart was. He says, why not simply allow each individual to take whatever health precautions he or she thinks are necessary? Those who are terrified will wear masks, so it won't matter whether others do or not. Why is it that people in church leadership feel that they have to establish non-biblically mandated behaviors for others? Politicians are destroying I don't know if this all matters, but politicians are destroying the economy by such extreme orders, and it smacks of a bit of an authoritarian bent in both settings. We control you because we know what's best for you. My church will be doing the same thing when we reopen, and I'm quite displeased. It seems that some, while not having been given a spirit of fear by God, have taken one on their own. And he ends it, a justification reply isn't necessary. So this is what I said. I said, thanks for your response. I do believe that it's not right nor fair for you to initiate, respond, and then to tell us that a justification reply is not necessary. I do believe that it's necessary for me to respond to your comments. 
Unfortunately, since you have not been able to attend one of our services, your accusations are based on assumptions, and it's a lot of times where our judgment comes from. So, now, understand, <laughs> this all comes from love. It really was. So then I said, one of the main things leadership, mainly the pastor, has to do within the church is to shepherd the flock that God has given him. And within the sheepfold, there are many different kinds of sheep, some who are strong, some who are weak, some who think they know everything, and some who know very little. And because, <laughs> and because of that, we always have to handle everything with love. The same way Jesus lived and taught his disciples, which was, I quoted John 21. I said, it's out of love, not fear, that we required one thing during one service this past weekend. If you, and this was our first time we met. If you had ever attended our church, you would notice that a majority of our church is elderly people. And out of love and respect for them, we had a high-risk elderly service for our first service. Whether they are living in fear or not, because that's what he mentioned, we do not know, and you certainly do not know. There is a difference between wisdom and fear, although slight. And what if those people are living in fear? We follow the instructions of Romans 14. Turn to Romans 14 really quick. This is a weird way to do a Bible study. <laughs> and this is what I wanted to get at in part of, part of the study was Romans 14 because it's so easy to judge than it is to love. But when we, lock, when we walk in love, we're building one another up. We're edifying one another. We're exhorting one another. Romans 14 talks about the law of liberty and the law of love, right? And I want to specifically, you guys can read the law of liberty on your own time. It's the first 13 verses. But the law of love verse 14 says I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself but to him who considers anything to be unclean to him it is unclean yet if your brother is grieved because of your food you are no longer walking in love do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy and Holy Spirit for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. And actually, let's read the first 13 verses because that's going to help us understand the context. He says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. You know, uh, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. And now... I know there's like a lot of, you know, uh, what's, what's it called? No, double negatives, so it's kind of hard to follow, but read it on your own time. Um, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And that's, that's key to understand too, is that you need to make sure that you are doing what your master has called you to do first and foremost. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes a day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives himself, and no one dies. And I won't read the rest of it. But basically, you and I are called to live a life that is to love one another. So love one another. And sometimes that love 
if we if we are truly walking in love we'll focus on our own sin first and then out of love yes we are able to help and restore a brother or sister that's in sin but it's going to be done in the right way and in the right context so i reminded him that we as the church we are following the instructions of romans 14 even if people were living in fear and that's why they were wearing the mask so be it right we love them where they're at who cares i said we did not want to despise them and have them miss out on the opportunity to be together worship our lord and be taught the word of god we showed love to the and i quote weak i said i believe now more than ever we as christians need to love one another the way that jesus commanded and with this love will come truth and remember love covers a multitude of sins our second and third services had no requirements. They were normal services. This allowed each individual, and I quoted him, to take whatever health precautions he or she thinks are necessary. And then I encouraged him because he talked about his church reopening. I said, I hope and pray that when your church opens, that you'll be there loving and supporting those who are weaker. Now, when I say weaker, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are weaker, but from his point of view. Those who may be living in fear, those who are struggling and those who are hurting, we need to love and disciple them through the word of God and not our own assumptions and opinions. So we have this guy over here who's upset that people like, he feels like they're being controlled by whoever it may be, that there's this fear that was instilled in them, whatever it's from the media or whatever, statistics, and you know, they're living a life of fear, they're living with a face mask, they're doing this and that, and he's on the extreme where he doesn't, he doesn't show any love, he's just upset. And how that comes across is it comes across angry and you start to judge the person for why he's wearing it. But what needs to happen for us as Christians is, look, maybe understand the context of it, why they're wearing it, and help them, right? Some people are wearing a face mask because it's cool, right? It has nothing to do with anything. Some people are wearing it because they have a condition that you don't know about. Some people are wearing it because they have a family member that you don't know about. Right? But here we are judging from, this, from our point of view where we don't understand the whole context of it. And what happens is we lose the side of love and we tear each other down. Right? We start to slander and we start to speak evil of one another. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he or she wore this or that. And there's no love whatsoever. You know, and if my brother is wearing a face mask because he's scared, and I, whether that's a right reason or not, I don't know but he's scared, what should I do? Should I make fun of him? Should I slander him? Should I, you know, should I tell my brother later in the day, like, oh my gosh, like Jalen's a scaredy cat because he's wearing a face mask? Like he needs to grow up, he's almost 18, right? No, like if Jalen's scared and he's almost 18 and he's this macho guy, like I'm gonna show him love, I'm gonna pray over him, I'm gonna do whatever is necessary to edify him and build him up, right? That's what we're called to do as Christians. You can judge someone wrongly when you do not first judge your own sin before trying to help him with his sin. That's one. Two, it's not judging someone to speak to him about sin or false teaching. If somebody's in sin, then yes, we need to call them out, but not call them out like blast it so everyone sees it. There's a proper way do it and it all starts with love three you can judge someone wrongly when you set up human standards rather than holding to god's word as the standard 
which was the example I just gave you with this guy. It was his own opinion. It was his own standards. And with that came this wrong judgment of people that led to slandering, and it can lead to divisiveness. And we see that when somebody has a wrong heart like that, that somebody like that would easily leave the church because of something that minor, right? They would easily leave the church over something that minor. So James ends it with this last verse. There's one lawgiver who was able to save and to destroy. And he ends it with, who are you to judge another? And the other versions say, who are you to judge your neighbor? Which puts it in context with love because we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. So he rebukes us with this. Who are you to judge another? And this, this is at the height of an arrogance and pride to try to take upon ourselves the role that God has reserved exclusively for himself. Who are you to judge? Because that is God's role. What you're supposed to do is submit to God's authoritative word by actively loving others with your words first and then your deeds. Love does not tear down others. It builds them up in Christ. And if you speak against others, others and you criticize them to make yourself look good, you are loving yourself and not others. You're not obeying God's law. You are setting yourself above it. Remember, we just read last week in verse 7 where he says, therefore, submit to God. Right? He says in verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He says in verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you see the common theme here? That you are to humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You're su to submit to him. And as you do that, you're going to walk in love. You're going to build up others. So submit to God's authoritative word, which is the word of God, which is the Bible. And two, submit to God himself. Because he's the lawgiver. Because he's the judge. He is the only one. And Jesus reminds us, and I'll close with this, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, because this is important. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him, God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Submit to him and humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before him and walk in love. Build one another up. I remember we were on a missions trip. I'll, I'll close with this <laughs> again. My fourth closing. We were on a missions trip in London one year. And... Um, Every missions trip that I've been on, there's always been uh, like division in the group because that's the biggest way to destroy the work of God, right? Is to bring some type of divisiveness within the group. And this happened, and it was very obvious when we went on this trip to London, and we kept, I don't know what it was. It was just the spirit of trying to destroy and, and hurt one another, and it, and it, was almost innocent in a sense because it happened through jokes, it happened through pranks, it happened through this or that, you know, just little tiny things here and there. And it just culminated and it escalated one night where it just, it got completely out of hand. And here we are in London, Americans trying to show people the love of Christ, but yet we're tearing each other down and, and we're family, right? We're one body. And so I remember one, this kid, you know, he spoke up and he said, look, he said it simply. He's like, we are called to build one another up, to love one another. And if you are judging, then you can't build one another up. 
you can't edify. And so I was really encouraged by that. Even though he was a young kid, he was younger than me. And I was like, wow, okay, that hit pretty hard. Like, I didn't want to hear it, but I also wanted to hear it at the same time. I knew I needed to hear it. And so I want to encourage you guys with that. And I think James is, you know, James is pretty blunt and he's pretty bold in what he's saying to the Christians here, but it's necessary. You and I are not called to judge one another. We're called to love one another, right? We're called to love one another. Always err on the side of love. Always err on the side of grace, right? Always do that. It's so much better. And I think if you do that, then you will be able to handle it the right way when somebody is actually doing something wrong, right? When I see my kid doing something wrong, I'm not going to stop and say, oh, I'm not going to judge you. No, I'm going to show you love. And I'm going to tell you, Zeke, don't do that stupid thing because I love you. Because I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to think that it's okay to play chicken with the SUV, you know, going 50 miles an hour. You know? Sometimes we do that with our sins, so.